Today, um, I want to share on the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just um, been meditating on that this week. Um, it was quite an incredible week for me. Um, on Sunday night, my stepdad passed away, and he'd been my dad for about 40 years. And, uh, and then on Tuesday night, my dad passed away in the same week in South Africa. And um, so I've thought a lot about that uh, and in the context of eternity. Because all of us one day will leave this, this wonderful earth and um, all of us will have an eternal destiny. And I would like to speak about that, the choices we make and the implications for eternity. But whilst we were praying today, Wes prayed... It's amazing how God confirms His Word before. That prayer meeting, tell you, if you, I'd love to see many of you more there come and pray with us because it sets the tone often for the service. We pray for people that are away on holiday, for their protection. We pray for the service. And more than that, as, as people are praying, I'm trying to pick up what God is saying through them and how that confirms the word that uh, is coming. And today, uh, uh, this morning, Wesley prayed a prayer, and I'd like him to come just share a little bit about his thoughts on the gospel that he prayed. This is actual Wesley that you see up there. Every, he, is a, he, he doesn't live in Hollywood. He lives in Nanaimo. My voice is higher in real life? No. <laughs> um, don't sit on my iPad. Horrible. I'll sit. Uh, yeah, I just was thinking this morning that there's a lot of us in here that can relate to having a wild life before we met Christ. Um, we can connect with the idea that we lived radically for ourselves. You know, whatever, whatever we indulged in in our lives, whatever was our vice, whatever was the thing that we strived for, is we gave ourselves to those things wholeheartedly. You know, I was, I was thinking about the Apostle Paul and how his life mission before he encountered Jesus in real life, his life mission was to kill Christians on God's behalf. That was what he gave his life to. And he went to desperate measures, and, and his story stretched and spanned across nations, people knowing who Paul was, Saul, who, who Saul was. And so... And so what happened was, when he got saved, a lot of the time in our worlds, we, we just like, God intervenes and he changes our hearts, he changes our desires, he changes what we want. But then we go from living radically in the world, and then we come and we live mundane in, in the kingdom of God. But if that was what Paul did, Paul would have just like gone killing Christians, doing his thing, and then he would have just like joined up with some of the apostles and like sat in a pew secretly in the back and like talk about the glory days before I met Christ. I used to live like this. I used to do this. I used to do that. But instead, Paul gave himself 100% in the opposite direction. Christians classified him as a psycho serial killer. And then Jesus met him where he was at, changed his heart, and then he became a psycho Jesus winner. Sorry. And so for me, it's like the gospel doesn't, the gospel, the goal of the gospel is not to make 
bad people good. That's, that's kind of like what the law does. The goal of the gospel is to take dead people and make them alive. It's to take that which was not to make it that which is. It takes people who are living for things that were dead-end results, and it takes us, and it makes us live and come alive in Christ, and not just come alive in Christ, but give life to others who were dead. And Paul was so on this mission that it became his adventure. Paul was so on this mission that he, instead of killing Christians, he now started running from the people that he was probably working alongside with. To the point where he's going into places, he's sharing the gospel, he's doing radical things. He knows people are, prophets and guys are coming up to say, if you go to this city, you're going to get killed. And he's like, I'm going. Why? Because something radical happened in his heart. The gospel didn't save him from his old life. The, The gospel set him free to walk into his new life. Most of us are obsessing over how the gospel has saved us from our old life. And then we sit in here and we play games. We sit in here and we just come every week and we, hi, hi, how you doing? Great, great. See ya. Gone. Then we get back to our real life. But Paul's real life was living out Jesus. Paul's real life wasn't church attendance. Paul's real life was Jesus' encounters. And that's what set him free. That's what made him have to escape the grip of men, the fear of death. I die daily. What? The fear of death. He lived in it. He was living on the ultimate adventure. He was getting lowered in handbaskets through the walls of cities for fear of losing his life. But he bought into something that was so much bigger than being good. He bought into something that was about coming alive. Awesome. Thank you, Wes. Just have to stay up here. Stay here, Wes. I'm going to... Um, so, Paul brings us... This is how prayer works. Paul brings that in the prayer meeting, and he prays that we would become alive. And that's a message, a similar message that God gave me for Sunday. So, God speaks to us, but God speaks to us. James says this in James... Chapter 1, do not merely hear the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And there's a great deception in the church. And the deception is because I heard it, I'm doing it. And we think that's okay. And um, so this is not meant to be a heavy word, but it is in the context of eternity, in the context of this last week. Where I know for sure one of my parents uh, is with the Lord. The other one I'd witnessed to, but I'm not so sure where they ended up. And I tell you, it's not the fact um, that they passed away for me, because we're all going to do that. It's where they went. And I'm praying that on their deathbed, because they'd heard the gospel, they would have made the right decision before God. And so that's the... The weight of what I've been carrying this week, and I don't want it to be a heavy message, but I do want it to be a sobering one in the sense of that, that we are called to be radical Christians, radical life changers, and for us, our life to, to count for God in every way. And so I'm going to ask Wesley to pray for me and pray for us as um, we bring the word today.
Yeah, God, we just pray right now that uh, we thank you, Jesus, that you are in the business of changing hearts, that you, Lord, that you're the one who um, is the softener of our hearts, Lord. We, do, we can't change ourselves. Lord, you change us from the inside out. Lord, we can't behavior modification ourselves into being who you want us to be. Lord, it's you who changes our hearts, which changes our actions, which changes our outcomes, God. And we want to we live on a mission for you. Lord, we don't want to play church. We don't want to play Christianity. We don't want to play. Lord, we don't want to live a lie. We want to do something that is real, that is not perfect, that is not neat or tidy. Lord, we want to live out a real gospel-centered life, not obsessed with attendance and check marks and being good. Lord, but a, a life obsessed with walking in step with the Spirit with responding to the still, small voice of God. Lord, that your gospel would grip our hearts. Jesus, that you would change us, that you would captivate our gaze. In Jesus' name, amen. Wonderful. Thank you, Wesley. I'll try and stick to my notes because on this subject, and as you meditate all week, you can... I mean, I could be here for hours because um, God just downloads so much into you when you sit and wait and listen to his voice. Amen? Amen. So I wrote this to start, and this is the heart. This was my heart for this week, and this is my heart for you, that today we'll be absolutely sure and assured of our salvation. That we'll know that we'll know that we'll know that we're saved. Because that's the basis of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus came to set us free When we accept Him as our Lord and Savior, He forgives us our sins, past, present, and future. And He knows that we're not going to live perfect lives, but what He does want to know, that we have a heart after Him. And Jesus said that there's a time that will come when people will honor me with their lips, but their hearts will be far from me. And He would rather go for God big time and make mistakes then, as Wesley said, just live out this bland life of a weekly service. And I'm not saying we do that, but I'm wanting to spur us on to the next level in each of us and each of our lives. But that we know that we are truly loved by Him. And that because we are loved by God, He has given us a free will, a will to choose. God gave us the ability to think to reason, to life, to love. And the ability, most important to me, is to make our own choices. And that's what separates us from animals. That's why evolution is such a fallacy, because where did emotion come from? Where did the mind come from? Where did the spirit come from? Did that also evolve from a toxic soup? Where did that all come from? That was God, and God created us The Word of God says, in His image, perfect, holy and blameless. And in the fall of man, uh, man chose to disobey God because even Adam and Eve, in that perfect world, had a free will, and sin entered the world. But the Word of God says, the second Adam came, Jesus Christ, God incarnate, came to this earth, lived a sinless life, and took upon our sins so that we could have life and have it to the full. 
And He gave us, more than anything else, His eternal Word, the Word of God, to teach us and show us how to live our lives. And this is our manual for life. Many people will say, well, God wouldn't do this, or God wouldn't do that, and how could have God done that? Well, the best way that I've heard it explained is by Francis Chan, where he says, we are the clay, the Bible says, and he is the potter. In other words, he created us out of clay. And when we try to reason God and, and explain God, it's like one piece of clay telling the other piece of clay what the Creator's like. It's impossible because it's a spiritual relationship. Mark spoke last week of being born again, born of the Spirit. And if you want to listen to that message, if you want to know about salvation, go back to that message last week because it was a powerful message. But he created us for, uh, with a free will for this reason. Because he wanted to create an eternal family. The family of God. He wanted us to choose to love him. To choose to obey him. And not a family that is forced or compelled to. If you have a father that forces or compels you to do everything and punishes you when you don't, what do we call that? Abuse. But God gave us a free will because He wanted a relationship. He wanted us to choose Him. And the freedom of choice is a wonderful thing. It's a thing that God, it's a gift from God. And it's all what we all want, a freedom of choice. But the choice has consequence. And we'll read at the end that, first of all, we'll see that Jesus came to earth as our Savior when He came the first time. He came as Lord and Savior. When He comes back again, He's coming back as our judge. He will judge the living and the dead. And there will be consequences for that. And there's some people who say to me, well, how would God send Good people to hell. No, he doesn't want to do that. He wants them to choose him. He wants them to make a choice. He wants us to live for him. But our choice has a consequence. And when that consequence comes, we cannot blame God for our choices. It's like I have some children, beautiful children. I love my children. And I was a child once, many years ago. And I made some bad choices. I made them. We can blame everybody else for our, for our choices. He said, she said, they did that. I tell you what, if your story is bad, you go out on the streets and you'll be thankful to God. You go to Africa. You go to the Middle East. And I've been to all of those places. And you see Christians in those areas and you thank God I'm in a free country. You see, my choices are my choices. And the first thing we have to accept is responsibility for our lives and for our sin. Because John 3.16, and my priest in John chapter 3, a little bit on that last week, on the beginning of it with Nicodemus. 
And like I say, please go and listen to that. But John 3.16, we love this part. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whomsoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. He gave his Son for us. It goes on to say, For God did not send his Son to condemn the world, but to save the world through him, through Jesus Christ. And this is the choice. Everybody is chosen, but not everybody will choose God. And the ones that choose God become the chosen ones of God. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. There's no condemnation on us that give our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. He forgives us our sin. He gives us a new life. Our spirit is, is born within us. And we have a relationship with our Father. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Uh, son. So my question today is this. If you were to die today, and I used to, I grew, I heard this preaching in the 80s, and it was overboard. It was all about a big stick. But it's a reality. We don't preach this stuff anymore. But if you do to die today, do you know where you would spend eternity? Thanks, Anne. Does anybody else? <laughs> do we have the confidence? Paul, um, West spoke of the Apostle Paul, a violent man, man persecuting the church. More than likely would have been seen with the same eyes that we see ISIS today. And God saved him and changed his life. But he writes this to the church in Philippi. In Philippians 1, 21 to 24, he says, For me to live is Christ. I live my life for Christ. But to die is gain. I know that I have an eternal destiny, an eternal future where there's no sickness, no pain. We will live in the presence of God for, for eternity. And I have a revelation of that, Paul said. And actually it's better for me to be in heaven. But if I'm going to go on living in this body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. In other words, he's saying is this. I'm ready to go home. But while I'm here, I'm going to make a difference for Jesus Christ. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. And how many of you have sung songs about the return of Jesus Christ in church? Nobody? How many of you have sung the days of Elijah? BJ, can you come and do it for me? This is the chorus. Behold, he comes riding on the clouds. 
shining like the sun at the trumpet call. Lift your voice, the year of Jubilee, and out of Zion's hill salvation comes. And we sing and we dance. But how many of us are secretly hoping that that doesn't happen while we're singing the song? How many are singing that song like Paul? Man, God, come today, come now. I'm ready. I've served you. I've laid my life down for you. And if, it's, if you've served him for one hour or, or ten years, it's a hard thing. But we sing these songs, come Lord Jesus, come. What the heck? You see, it becomes... That's religious. That's honoring God with our lips. We sing these songs that I will lay down my life for Jesus until He wants to take it. You see, last week Mark reminded us that being born again is more than a decision. I just decide to add Christ to my life. I live my life, but I'll just add Jesus. I could add anything. But I was thinking this way, and he, he read from that song, A Highway to Hell. We were on a highway to hell. Not that he preached on that, uh, that or believed that for us who are saved, but I was thinking, like we're driving on this highway of our life, and stuff happens, and all of a sudden we see Jesus on the side of the road. So we, go, we stop, pick him up. But we put him in the back seat, or in the trunk. And we take him out when we need him. And just say, Jesus, I want you to drive this vehicle. Jesus, take the wheel. That song is irritating. <laughs> Sorry, is it Carrie? She's a beautiful girl. Is it Carrie Underwood? <laughs> Sounds like Camilla, Carrie Underwood. But do we really mean that? Or is there, I'm going to, and he's saying, listen, I want you to go that way. But he's like this backseat driver, and we go that way. And then we come back. And I've been looking at this because I've got to look at my own life because there's a big plank sticking out of my eye too. I'm not looking at the specks in others. I'm saying there's a soberness of the times we live in. And I believe Jesus is going to come back soon. And if he doesn't, I want to live like that because Apostle Paul thought Jesus Christ was coming back in his lifetime. And the early church lived like that. They lived that Jesus could come back today. Imagine if we woke up and said, I want to live today as if even if this is the one day before I go, before I'm taken back through death or through, or through, um, through the return of Christ, before I'm taken to heaven, I could say, I lived that day to the full. Now, there's no condemnation in this because we're not perfect and God doesn't expect us to be perfect. And God doesn't want to beat us over the head today. He wants to say, I've called you. I've chosen you. I've given you the ability to go and make a difference. 
Will he come along the road? David. I love the story of David because he was so passionate for God, but he was often passionately wrong. And he made big mistakes. But you know what he did? He took responsibility. And God loved him more than any of the kings and the prophets. And honored him because Jesus is of the line of David. You see, decisions are just decisions. And I think when we say, do you want to decide to follow Jesus? I've decided. That's great if it's a revelation from the heart. But how many of you know that we all make decisions every day? Like New Year's Day is a big decision-making day where we sit down and we decide that we're going to get thinner. We're going to get fitter. We're going to be nicer. We're going to go to gym. And we're going to work out. And we make these decisions, and for that moment, we feel so good because of our intentions. So good because I intended to do that. And I go to the gym, and the gym's waiting there for suckers like us because we go New Year's week. The week after New Year is the biggest signing week of gym contracts in the world. And we never go back. And that's when it really sucks, because that's when condemnation comes in. And God didn't want a decision. I've decided to follow Jesus, yes. I've decided to lay down, Lord, be Lord of my life. Not an add-on. Christianity with Jesus as an add-on, or Jesus in the back street, is the most boring, terrible thing in the world. Because it's called religion. And religion kills. Jesus came for, to restore relationship. And God loves us that He said, you choose to love me or don't. I'm not going to press a button. You are not a robot. That I will turn on and off and make you do things for me. I want you to choose you this day whom you will serve. And I can see in my life because Paul says that there's people that have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. So what does that look like to me? You know, it's like a ship drifting in the ocean. You switch, you take the sails down and you're just there and you close your eyes and you know you're supposed to be going north and if that's true north and the currents come and I'm just sleeping, hanging around, enjoying myself and slowly I drift away. Slowly I drift away. Slowly I drift away. And when I look back, True North is here, and I'm right over there. But I still want to serve God. And instead of saying, hey, I'm going to repent and come back, I just carry on, miserable, because I know that I'm not doing it with all my heart. And I've been there, and I've got that T-shirt even leading this church. And I've had to come to God and say, God, create in me a new heart, a pure heart. You know, I want to say this, that it's sad to me that we are still looking for 10 volunteers to help for an hour or so at Love Your City. I know we have many, and this is not a heavy story, but please, church, please hear my heart, and please, please, please come back. 
Otherwise, I'll have to preach in the mirror. Maybe I should do that. Because it is for me. You see, unless we follow through on our decisions, what difference does it make? You see, many of us, and I look at myself, and Paul talked about God coming to make not bad people good, but good people, dead people alive. And you see, what I tend to do and what we tend to do, and I've just thought of this all week in the context of both my fathers dying this week. The question is, what do we measure ourselves against? What do I measure my life against? Do I measure my life against a guy that's really bad? Well, I'm not like that. People where I may be more committed to church than them, well, I'm not like that. What is my measuring stick? And often we are lulled into this thing to think, we're good people. We've got a good family. We're not doing that stuff. I'm not having affairs. I'm not doing that. All of those things. But you see, there's only one measuring stick. And that's the Word of God. This is the measuring stick that we use. And against his standard of righteousness. Romans 3.20 says this. That no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. In other words, by obeying the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. So what is God saying there? What is He saying there? Is God gave us Ten Commandments. This is the Mosaic Law. There's a Levitical Law, but the Mosaic Law, Ten Commandments. You shouldn't steal. You shouldn't bear both. A false witness, things like that. You should honor the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. You should honor your father and mother. All of these things. Ten. And he said, if you can obey those ten, you can declare for your whole life with never breaking one, you can declare yourself righteous. Has anybody been able to do that? Jesus did, yes. Has any of us been able to do it for a day? No. None of us. So what did the law do? What was the purpose of the law? Not to condemn us, but to tell us and make us know that we needed salvation. It was put in charge to lead us to Christ, where Christ bore our sins, Christ forgives us, Christ sets us free. We do nothing to earn it. We receive it. It doesn't matter if you're a mass murderer or you're a, a, a good little person that lived in a good little house and had good little kids. It doesn't matter. What matters is, did you 
accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Did you acknowledge your sin? And did you acknowledge your need for a Savior? Because when we do that, He pours out His grace and He says, Yes, 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 forgiven, forgiven, forgiven. And we should live in that a daily wonder and awe that God would love us so much that He'd give me a free will to choose. You know, when your children go off the rails, it's the hardest, hardest thing in the world to, to deal with. Do you think God's pain isn't for this world? He loves the world. Do you think He's not painting today at what's happening in Vancouver? Do you think He's not hurting because His children are lost like sheep without a shepherd? He wants them to come home. And He wants us to be the vehicle through which He comes home because we are Christ's ambassadors. We represent Him. Amen. Romans 3.23 We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And if we heard these and there wasn't a Savior that took our sin, it would be terrible. Terrible. And that's what happened when the great prophet Isaiah saw the Lord in all his glory. The prophet Isaiah, more than likely the greatest prophet, Jesus said, outside John the Baptist, who Jesus said was the greatest, prophesied more about the coming Messiah than anybody else. But he's praying. And in a vision, he goes into the presence of God. And this prophet who thought maybe he was a good prophet, maybe he was a good man, he's undone. He's undone when he sees the glory of God. It breaks him. And he says this. And he cries out this. It starts in the law that King Uzziah died. I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And he's trained for the temple and he sees the angelic host and all of this. And what is his response? Woe is me. I am ruined. Because in the context of other Israelites, he more than likely felt pretty good. He was prophesying against them, the word of God. But in the context of God, he said, I'm a man of unclean lips in the context of God. And I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the glory of the Lord Almighty. And do you know what God does? God doesn't fry him. God doesn't kick him out. It's a picture of grace. He gets an angel to take a coal from the altar of God to touch his lips. Now this is in a vision. And he cleanses him. He cleanses him. All he wants is us to, woe is me, Lord God. Woe is me, God. Not live in that, but just see the glory of this God that loves us. And not say, well, I grew up in a church or... Jesus is in my car, but I'm driving it. Woe is me, God. And God pours out His mercy, His grace, His love and forgiveness. And our lives are transformed forever and ever. We are never the same when we do that. 
We see that in Revelations. We're not going to read that. The Apostle John. Revelation chapter 1. Revelation. Book of Revelation. He has this vision on the Isle of Patmos. Then he sees Jesus Christ in all his glory. Go and read it. It's, it's awe-inspiring. Remember, he knew Jesus in the flesh. Jesus was his buddy. He slept on Jesus' arm. He, he cooked, he ate with Jesus. But Jesus dies and returns to heaven. And God gives him a name that is above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and earth. And we have an opportunity to do it on earth. But if we don't, when we're in heaven, there are consequences. We will not be in heaven. And go and read the book of Revelation. I never wrote that book. If I did, I'd more than likely have left that out. But the ones whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life are doomed to eternal damnation. Now that should grip our hearts as our Christians to, to witness more and to speak the truth. Not to bind the cultural lie that everything's okay. Just add Jesus. Just put him in the trunk. Or the glove box, if he's that small. I take him out when I need him. There are people, and I, and I faced that with one of my fathers because I'd witnessed to him. And he, I never heard him acknowledge Jesus Christ. Now I can't, he's his man, and I know God is faithful. And on his deathbed, like the thief on the cross, the thief on the cross, remember me, Jesus. That's all he said. He acknowledged Jesus when you get to heaven. He said, today you'll be with me. So this don't discount the grace of God. But what I am saying is in the context of this holy God, we're to walk a life that represents Him well in grace and mercy and love. If we're going to see this world transformed, it's not by conforming to the spirit of this age. It's not by being religious zealots, shouting at everybody, telling them they're all wrong. It's by walking humbly with our God, sharing the gospel of love, sharing the gospel of peace, giving people an opportunity for them to make their choices. You cannot save anybody. I cannot save you. I couldn't even save myself. But God can if we allow Him. You see, nearly finished. Quite meeting today. It doesn't matter how good we think we are. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So the question is, will we acknowledge that and admit our need for our Savior? And this is where the love of God shines the brightest. You've heard me quote this often, but I am so overwhelmed because I used to think that God loved me more when things were going well and God loved me less when things were going bad. I used to blame myself. Well, if I hadn't done that, God would love me more. How many of you play that game in your mind? He loves me, he loves me not. I got a promotion. He loves me. 
Next day I got fired. He hates me. Schizophrenic Christian that I was. I never understood grace. I never understood God's love is unchanging. That is constant. That it never changes. And this is where it shines the brightest. This passage of Scripture. Where God the Father sent His only Son to die for our sins regardless of our response. Regardless of whether we would choose to receive Him or not, He sent Him anyway. No conditions. I will do this for you if you do that. Or I won't do this for you because you did that. God doesn't do that. If Jeffrey Daimler accepted Jesus Christ before he was put in the electric chair, he'll be in heaven today. If he acknowledged that. Because sin is sin in God's eyes. And forgiveness is forgiveness in God's eyes. And redemption is redemption in God's eyes. Nobody, nobody, nobody is excluded. But this is what Paul writes. He says, you see, just at the right time, Ephesians 5, uh, Romans 5, 6 to 11. Just at the right time, when we were still powerless in our sin, in our lives, Christ died for us, ungodly people. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. Though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But listen to this. But God demonstrates His love in this one thing. He cannot love you any more or any less because this is the standard of His love. That whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Whether we live in poverty or we live in a palace, it doesn't matter. We have the same opportunity to accept or reject Him. Since we have now been justified by His blood, in other words, forgiven through His sacrifice, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? The final judgment. When we stand before the throne and give an account, and it's in the book, go and read it, Revelation 20. We can be saved from that. For while we were enemies of God, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son. How much more, how much more, now having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received Reconciliation. And if the worship team can please come forward. It's a wonderful day to do a baptism. Because these are people that have accepted Jesus Christ and are being obedient to His Word. You see, even though I was a sinner and rejected God, He loved me. But He gave me a free choice because He loved me. He allowed His Son to die for me 
His son to be spat on, beaten, nailed to a cross in order to pay the price for my sin. Then he gives me an opportunity to choose. And the wonderful thing is when we come to acknowledge Jesus Christ and confess our sin and repent of it, he never treats us as our sins deserve. And Peter in Acts chapter 2, the first gospel message ever preached, it's a pattern for preaching the gospel. Go and read Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 10. You'll see Peter preaching to Cornelius and to, uh, in 10 and to the multitudes in 2. And he tells them the story of Jesus. And he said, you guys, your son crucified him. You put him on the cross, but he rose again. And it says this. The people were rent to their hearts and they said, what must we do to be saved? And he said, number one, salvation, repent. Acknowledge that you're a sinner. Repentance is you're walking away from God and you turn around and you come back to Him. Repentance is part of the salvation package. It's not, oh, I'll decide to, to carry on with, no, Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. I ask you to forgive me, Lord. I cannot help myself. Repent. And the next thing was be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repentance leads to salvation. When we repent, we are saved. Our sin is gone. When we acknowledge Jesus Christ as the Lord, and we can lead you through that. Then in obedience, we follow Jesus through the waters of baptism because He got baptized. And because He says in Matthew 18, go and make disciples and baptize them. But we have these things as add-ons. Now, it's got nothing to do with your salvation, please. But it has everything to do with saying, God, you said it, so I'll do it. I'll be baptized. And we do it in the tub here, and you can do it in a river or anything. But why we do it here is because I love the family to, to celebrate it. It's a time for people to see why. And then he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, we cannot. We have the indwelling Spirit, and then we're empowered by the Spirit. We cannot live this life without the Holy Spirit in our lives. Unless we're born again, born of the Spirit, we will not enter the kingdom. And when we are led by the Spirit, and when we fall, and when we fail, God says, my grace is sufficient. I've forgiven you. I'm not angry with you. I love you. But come home. Come home. Come home. Don't be just somebody that, a two-hour Christian. And if I've become that Lord God, if this church has become more important to me than you, and I lead it, ask for forgiveness, Lord. Because our mission is to know Christ and to make Him known. 
And so today we're going to have the two people being baptized. If you'd like to be baptized and you haven't. And I, we've, this has happened before. But I'd love that to do that. Don't do it because I've asked you. You say, God, I want to be baptized today. Why not? The Ethiopian said to Philip, Hey, you've told me I need to be baptized. Let's do it. Got off his donkey or his camel or whatever he was on. They found a two inches of mud in the desert where the camels had been drinking. Stuck him in the water and baptized him right there and then. If God's speaking to your heart, God rather go home wet. Then don't listen. But don't do it because I've asked you to. Amen. Thank you, church. Be blessed. If we could have the guys.